Okay, welcome to the latest podcast at Downtown and Business and a frank conversation with, and I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Smith, who is the managing director, uh, founder of Dream Apartments. He's also um, the uh, author of a fabulous book that he will talk about during the course of the conversation, uh, an entrepreneur who is dipping his toe into new waters uh, through the pandemic and beyond, I'm sure. Tom, welcome. Good to see you today. And uh, listen, before we get into the conversation about what you're up to at this moment in time, which is mega, let's face it, um, tell us about your journey because it's really interesting, uh, the background and how you got involved in running your own business. Yeah, thank you so much, sir, for having me on today. You know, I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm just a guy that grew up in Belfast. Um, you know, from a, I was a young age. My parents um, gave us the most amazing childhood, but we didn't have any money. You know, we were just like a lot of families back in the 70s. We were flat broke, but our house was full of love and things like that. So I decided from a young age that I wanted the best trainees and the best track suits like everybody else. But my mom and dad had a really good system where if we didn't have the money, you didn't get it. And, you know, a lot of my mates all had the best of stuff off case catalog at the time. And I didn't. So I decided to get a job at the age of 10 years old. And I worked in a fish and chip shop. And I was the, the smelly kid that worked out the back whose uniform must have smelled the fish and chips, you know. But I worked there for five years. And over that period... In the winter times, I would have stood in a bucket of water that was full of warm water to stay warm because it was so bitter cold. Um, but it then enabled me to take the power back where I was able to buy my own trainers, my own tracksuit, or sometimes just look at my money box knowing that's my money and I put that there. So from a young age, I was prepared to do whatever it took to get to the next level. And Growing up then as a teenager, um, Northern Ireland was quite a different place than a, you know, a lot of other places in the UK. We were going through a civil war. So our crazy abnormal life, as people would have called it, would have been simply our normal. So if you heard it on the news that somebody had been murdered or a bomb had went off on the road or one of the roads in Belfast, we used the, the news as a roadmap of how to go to work or how to go to school. So... You know, I also believe Belfast is the ultimate bounce back city and its people are incredible, just like the city of Liverpool. So as a young man, it gave me a lot of resilience and, and a real good stiff lip. So um, my work ethic was there. Then as a young teenager, I was working on building sites after school. Um, one of the sites I worked on, the foreman hated me because of my religion, but that's just typical in Northern Ireland. So he kept giving me harder and harder jobs to do. So I made it my goal to be the best at moving all the breeze block and the best at moving all the bags of sand until I broke him and every guy that worked on the site loved me and hated the foreman. So um, it's all about work ethic and I suppose mindset and my mindset even then as a kid, I couldn't be beaten. Um, so moving forward then, I've just, my career has just kept going up and up and up, but it's, I think it all comes from that work ethic as a kid, you know? And, you know, you talk, Tom, about uh, what was obviously, from a financial sense at least, uh, quite a deprived uh, background. But equally, you talk warmly uh, about 
your upbringing, because as you say, there was a lot of love in the household. Uh, and, you know, often uh, that gives you the springboard to the success that you want, doesn't it? Because if you've got that base, if you've got that safety net uh, of a loving family at home, then it does at least create your space to think about how you can develop yourself moving forward. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I actually got goose pimples or listening to what you said, thinking about my own personal feelings. You know, my dad was a postman and regardless of the, 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 the war and the conflict, and it really was, you know, at high levels at some times, he delivered the post to people on a daily basis. So I think I got my consistency from my dad, who was not scared of work, who didn't drink, you know, and it was just a genuine man who I really look up to to this day. He's turning 70 in a couple of weeks. Um, my mum is definitely the definition of my book. You know, it's fearless. Well, my mum's fearless. Um, she is a woman that if she says she's going to do something, like she will do it. Um, and I learned that, that her word was her bond. If we ever had somebody working at her house, no matter how skint we were, she had made sure they got a five or 10 pound or 20 pound to compliment on their work. And if the work wasn't good either, that I knew about it very quickly. Um, but, you know, one of the times I can remember we went to a safari park, which was like a better type of zoo, and we didn't have the money to get in. And I can remember my mum and dad saying to me and my brother, right, lie on the back of the floor of the car, and they put this tartan rug over us, that I think everybody had that red tartan rug. <laughs> and we were told, don't move, because we only had money to pay for two people. And we slipped through the gate and got in, but it was like doing the Briggs heist, you know, like with stole gold bullion. But the bottom line was we did not have money for four of us. And looking back, it's so funny, but you get a massive reality check of what an amazing life we all live nowadays, because even our children all live these amazing lives with their iPhones. But sometimes I pinch myself and remember my childhood and it's full of love and happiness. But then you appreciate what you have now, you know, when you, when you think back like that. And before we just continue on your journey uh, on a personal level, Tom, I just want to talk briefly, reflect on, you know, Belfast and its journey, because um, I'm of a, an age where I remember that, you know, when the news featured the troubles, it was almost you switched off because it was such a regular occurrence. It, you yeah. know, initially it was shock because, you know, on the British Isles, you were yeah. seeing bombs going off. Uh, you had things like Bloody Sunday. And then obviously you had on the mainland, uh, the Birmingham bomb and all of the, the, the bombing in Warrington, all those things going on. But you almost became immune to it because it was a daily occurrence, as you said. I'm sure most things didn't even hit the news. And then you look at where the city is today. And, and I just wonder how that transition has taken place. And whether, because obviously we've just gone through a, a difficult period politically with Brexit, um, there are any concerns about what's happening in Belfast at the moment, or whether you're confident that the city will just continue its momentum and crack on? Belfast was that, you know, we are the ultimate bounce back city. You know, we have went through 30 years of a real strong war. And when you lived here, you really realized 
how bad it was. You know, I had I've had certain friends murdered because they were wearing a football top in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were shot dead. That was just a normal day in Northern Ireland. Um, I can remember being 16 years old and I was so over the moon that I'd got this job as a roofer. And the policeman come running out and says, get off the roof. And all of us were all on a roof, contractors. And they had just received intel that there was an IRA sniper in the area. And we were all just about to be popped off the roof. Now, that was normal. You know, half a, half a day later, we were back on the roof because it was just, yeah, dead on, no problem, whatever. We're back on the roof. Where it would have scared a lot of people, you know, but that was just part of our daily bread. It was something that you live with, you know, and I'd say there are abnormal became normal. You know, we used to read the teletext in the morning to see who was murdered the night before, because that's the realization of it. So you knew where to go, where not to go, or did you know the person that was killed? And then there was a lot of murders that went on in Northern Ireland that were never on the press. And they were like blanketed by the government, I suppose, to help sort of suppress and keep it down on how bad the conflict really was. But getting to a real positive note, our community workers here have done a remarkable job. Both sides of the community that were, were both were, you know, really arch enemies and rivals and used to murder each other are now friends and community leaders. And they're doing everything, absolutely everything. They give our country and our city a better place to live nowadays. And we've become an amazing tourist destination. We've become an incredible business hub because of our people's work ethic, just like people in Liverpool. But it is just, I am so proud of it. You know, a friend of mine is involved in conflict resolution. And recently he has been in Afghanistan speaking to the Taliban and explaining how conflict can be resolved. And even the, the Taliban were blown away. The United Nations were translating stuff. So Northern Ireland is a blueprint of conflict resolution that it does work. And other countries should be jumping on that more because we need to put an end to a lot of wars. Peace has to reign. And I also believe racism is rife, especially in places like America. But if you look at places like Northern Ireland, where we had murder on the streets 24-7, if we can get over ourselves, everybody else needs to get over everything else. Yeah, that, that a salutary... Um... Regarding Brexit, but like you asked, I think Brexit will be like everything else. It'll come and go. We'll all survive it. We've all survived COVID. Or we'll all have to deal with it as manufacturers or hospitality or business people. And we'll just need to move on. I think we need far stronger leadership from our so-called government, who I think haven't done us any justice. And Northern Ireland could be a mini Monaco or Monte Carlo of some sort because of our relationship with the South. I think we should really jump on this and make the most of it um, and focus on the positive instead of focusing on the negative. I wouldn't expect anything else from you, Tom. It's definitely glass half full. And, and you're right, you know, there is a great opportunity uh, within the new regime for Northern Ireland to really uh, carry carry on driving on, as you said, it's, it's had a fantastic uh, decade or more now in terms of its growth. So let's get back to you uh, and that journey that we started out on. And you've talked about your time in the chippy and you've talked about your time on the building site and then as a roofer. At what point did you decide to go into your own business? Well, a friend of mine when I was about 18 says, you know, you really need to get your hands dirty to make your own money and stuff. And I had been, you know, I'd earned my stripes on building sites and things like that. So from as a young guy, then I decided to buy my first house. Um, and I was lucky. All the lads in the pub were all talking nonsense. And as on the age of 18, I was running about looking at houses. And they used to laugh at me thinking there's something wrong with him. Um, 
or you're above your station is definitely a thing in Northern Ireland. Um, and if you get above your station in our country back in the day, you usually get brought down a couple of pegs. Well, I didn't want to listen to their chatter or any negative internal chatter in my head. So I pushed on. Um, I bought my first house in 1994. Um, a couple of months after I bought it, the IRA called their ceasefire and then followed by the loyalist paramilitaries. So Northern Ireland became a whole new place to live. House prices boomed. Um, two years later, I sold that house. It had tripled. And then it gave me the springboard to start a career as a businessman. So the timing was right, but um, my mindset was right. I knew what I wanted. I didn't listen to the other people trying to tell me what I was going to do. My focus was buy a home. And then I profited off the first one. And then that was really my bit of money to start doing what I was going to do. And it's just moved on from then and it keeps growing. Fantastic. And then, Tom, what would you say back in 1994, your key motivation was? Was it to simply better yourself in, in terms of your own life? Or, or even at that stage, did you have uh, bigger ambitions than that? Yeah, you know, my mom always says, like, where did we get you, son? Did we get you in the movies? Um, I've always had, I don't know what it is, I've had a burning desire. I definitely have an energy that some people says fills a room. Um, and Tony Robbins had said, you know, about two years ago, I was listening to him, but I can relate back to it as a young man. Raise your standards. And it's something I always wanted to do. And a friend of mine once said to me about five years into it, when I was about 24, 25, are you not happy with what you've got? And I said, you don't understand. It's not about what I have. It's where I'm going. And it's not about contentment. It's the drive and it's the hustle every day of getting something else and moving on. And some people don't get it, but I love the journey to towards the big goals. And the journey is as exciting, probably more exciting than achieving the goals. So I've always had that push that far and, and definitely the hustle to keep battering myself. Um, when you've got into that sort of buying and selling properties, uh, and obviously you've made a profit on the first and then you start to invest the cash elsewhere. Um, what were the sort of areas of business that really interested you, Tom? Total property, 100%. You know, as a kid who didn't didn't have a third level education, very quickly and you learned, you know, it was a bricks and mortar where you, you could bank on your money. Even if a recession came and went, you still had it there. Um, if you hadn't been foolish and remortgaged or overfinanced, your asset was still there. Also, it's about having income producing assets, you know, instead of having a piece of art that's hanging on a wall, not giving you any income. In my head, it was a quite a simple math as a young man. If I have X amount of properties paying me X amount of rent, they'll be paid off by such and such a date. I own them, but my income will continue. And it was a no brainer. Um, and that's just, I always think, any amazing or incredible business in this world should be simple. There should never be anything complicated. And if there's anything complicated in any of my business, I quickly simplify it because there's just no need. Um, and that's my brain just works like that. And as a kid, I just seen X produces that. That keeps working. Why would I not do that? And now when I look at people like Grant Cardone, who I look up to quite a bit, it's everything he says about income producing assets. But I was thinking that 25 years ago. Well, as a young man, and given the fact that you've not gone through any formal business education, 
Uh, like many entrepreneurs, actually, that I meet, you'd not had a particularly uh, a particular interest in academia. You know, it was yeah, I'd go to school and I'd do what I needed to do, but my head was elsewhere. What do you think it was that sort of got you to take a, a, a position of business leadership? Because again, you know, it's an interesting question for me. So I, I sort of almost was forced into setting my own business up through circumstances. But always for me, the interest is how at an early age, guys like you decide, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Were the particular things, Tom, that that made you do that? Did you did you and at what age did that happen? Was that from being in school, or is it something that came later? Yeah, well, I, th I think you know it was vibe. I just live in a black and white world. There's no grey area. You know, working for someone, I wasn't getting a hundred percent of the money. It was as simple as that. So you know, so I'm gonna knock my pan and do all this work and give you all, most of it. No chance. It was just. You know, I'm going to do all this graft and that money is going to stay mine and my family's. That was the equation, just, you know, there was no complication to it. I didn't need a first year or sorry, a third year honours degree in academics to work that out. You know, that, that came from the street hustle of knowing if you graft, that work belongs to you and that money belongs to you too. So building sites, um, I had the three doorman's jobs. I was working at different nightclubs and stuff. So sometimes... I had no sleep, but um, best years of my life, like totally, you know, building a name for yourself, keeping a reputation, you didn't take any nonsense and just pushing on in life. And it stood by me very well. Brilliant. I love the simplicity. I love the simplicity. Um, now, listen, you know, the way you've explained your business model, there may again be people out there who confuse that simplicity of explanation with well, this has just been easy. And then there was a bit oh, of and he's made a few, but it's much harder than that, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, that's and that's a really good thing to say. You know, the you know, the work I've put in, um, build the dream apartments up for an example. I took on huge dual roles, 19, 20 hour days, where I was the PA and the accountant at the start. And I'm definitely not the, the IT or the marketing guy, but I was all of these people at the very start. And all of it just comes with massive resilience, being relentless in your goal and then adding people to it, you know, but it hasn't just been a fairy tale where I've done this and, and I've did that. You know, it took me a full year of going to Liverpool and Newcastle and Belfast to get myself established. It was, it was no for a full year. And then after a year, a company came to Belfast called Marathon. And Marathon had bought a building. It was like a ghost building, gorgeous big building. People had defaulted on it um, during the, the recession and nobody completed on the mortgages. Um, 200 odd apartments, 27 stories high, highest building in the whole of Ireland, believe it or not, from a residential point of view. And a guy from Savills, who I had probably stalked for a year, um, says to me, there's a company coming tomorrow, Megan Hedge Fund. I've told them all about you. Within 48 hours, it signed a lease for 50 apartments really quickly with a company from New York. But my, my wife had said to me about a week before, you know, when are you going to give up? And I laughed at her and just went, I'm never going to give up. I don't understand how. It's never going to happen. And then as if by magic, it turned up. Because in life, the universe will deliver to you if you're 
relentless, and I really was. Since then, we opened in Belfast, six in Newcastle, and we're in that incredible city, which I call my home too, of Liverpool. And since then, we've expanded into Manchester, um, Cardiff, we're opening, we opened in Middlesbrough on the 7th of May. And like I've said many times on LinkedIn, our expansion continues and will do. By the 6th of the 12th, which is my daughter's birthday, 2021, we will have a thousand apartments. And, you know, last year we lost two million quid in the first six, seven weeks of COVID. But what did we do to beat that? We were resilient. We made 2,000 sales calls a week instead of 1,000. We found essential industries. We found different people who were, were allowed to work following government restrictions. And we made them our new clients. Now, we weren't breaking records. We were still paying the bills. And we were still able to um, expand. So when this is over, we are in the highest position to completely take over the service department market. We have made the big boys look silly. They, for some of the months, some of the big, big boys in our job hadn't even sent out message plan. Keep sending the message out, we're in this together. It's only here for a short while. And we're sending that out to our corporates, to all our leisure guests that used to book with us. And instead of having any negativity, we cut that out of our lives. And I'm coming up to four years now without watching the news. So although I've followed government guidelines because I've had amazing advice from the team, I'm oblivious to the chaos because I stay, I stay out of it. Uh, and we'll come on to that positive mindset a bit later on, Tom, if we may, because I know it's a yeah. part of what keeps you, uh, you know, going from one project to another and maintaining your success levels. And I think it's, it's fascinating that you've taken that, that view. I'm obviously in the game where you can't switch off from the news, unfortunately. I have to know what's going on. But equally, you know, it'd be fascinating to get your views on that a bit later. But listen, I'll just pick up on a point that you said there. And again, I think this is um, something that I would apply to the most successful entrepreneurs that I've met. Uh, you said, I got told no for a year. And it's how you react to that rejection. Uh, because, again, we've all come across people who've had fabulous business ideas, who started on that journey, and for some reason, after six months or so, business has gone, they've gone back to work for someone else, and often it's because, you know, within that first six months, they've had one, two, three, or even ten rejections, and it's difficult for some people to take that on. So what is it within you that you think, Actually, this is just, you know, you can tell me no for now, but I'm going to bounce back anyway. You know, my mindset and, and my mentality when I went out on this journey was I am prepared to do whatever it takes. And I have a daily mantra in the mornings, along with my gratitude and my goals. Uh, and I was prepared to do whatever it took. Um, if I get hit by a bus, God help the bus, because I'm getting up. And... <laughs> It was no matter what happened, I was going to keep going and going and going and going until I got that yes. Since then, I've seen little, little scenarios where you see a miner and he's, he's chipping away at the wall and he's an inch away from finding diamonds and he's about to get it. It shows you the same guy, similar to him walking away, who was an inch away from getting his. Well, I'll always make sure I'm the guy that's getting the diamonds. I'm never going to be the guy walking down the tunnel. That doesn't even register in my head. You know, giving up, I have no idea what it means. No idea. Never will. I'll never take no for an answer. 
you know, I called the guy the other day 26 times. And when he, when he called me at night, he was laughing, saying, you're a stalker. And I says, yeah, but I've got me, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's just about having that full ambition to push on, not to have any comfort zones. And when somebody's saying no to you, it's not personal. They don't know you yet. You know, they don't know you. So let it be water of a duck's back. Let, let, get this brass knack that you can go, no problem. I'll see you again next week and keep chipping until you get it. You know, if you're not going to set out with this mindset that you're going to do whatever it takes, go and get a job working for somebody because you need to have that resilience. And that's what I had. And I try and install it in my staff, my kids and my SEALs team. You know, I tell my SEALs team, life is like a massive piece of ice. I'm going to give you a hammer. Keep hitting that ice. Do you crack it? That's just what SEALs is. Until you get that yes, until you find that connection with somebody that you went to the university that their dad went to or whatever you need. Sales, do, sales work with people. It's all about selling to people, through people and being personable. But taking no for an answer, not a chance. It's not in your DNA, is it? That's for not sure. a chance. Uh, but you can appreciate what I'm saying because, you know, listen, if you were all the same, first of all, it'd be a pretty boring world. Uh, and then secondly... Uh, for people like you, it wouldn't be quite as rich uh, because, you know, if everybody was able to have that mindset, it'd be a bit tougher for you. But listen, it's refreshing to talk to people, particularly at this moment in time, who have such a positive attitude. And I know that you've gone from being very focused on developing your property business, and we're going to talk a bit more about Dream Apartments after the break. But then you've moved into other areas as well, such as mentoring, uh, and you've wrote a book. So, as I say, let's take a short break, have a couple of minutes, and we'll come back and talk about the next part of Tom Smith's journey. Sounds good. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying the latest Frank Conversation with podcast. For all the latest downtown and business events, please go to our website, allthews.downtownandbusiness.com, click on the events page, and you'll see what we've got coming up. Okay, welcome back to A Frank Conversation with Tom Smith. Uh, Tom is the owner, managing director of Dream Apartments. Uh, he's gone into mentoring. He's recently written a book. We're going to get into that in a moment. Let's uh, start off with Dream Apartments. Tom, you've indicated that by your daughter's birthday, lovely story this, uh, and what a nice way of uh, having milestones and, and, and aims and objectives to hit. You're going to have a thousand apartments. Um, so tell us about Dream. Tell us about the concept uh, and why it's so special in terms of the product that you've got there. Yeah, um, I lived in Dubai. Um, when I lived in Dubai, you know, some people will never remember this, but it was called the original seven. And in the marina, there was only seven towers. There was no downtown. There was nothing between um, the marina, Sheikhside Road and the airport. That was it apart from Jumeirah Beach Preserve and the Burj Al Arab, that was it. And we were very lucky that we did a load of business at the very start. Uh, but I lived in service departments. So I lived in the Grosvenor House. Um, Grosvenor House from London obviously has its replicated in Dubai. And when we lived there, we were getting 7.6 Durham to the pound. I think it's like 4.2 or something now. So we were on the boat like movie stars having the, the you know a, such an amazing life. But we lived in this, we lived in the concept of service departments. 
So when I finished living in Dubai, I came back and decided to replicate what I'd lived in in the UK and Ireland. Um, when I brought it to Ireland, the Northern Ireland Tourist Board had said everybody was quaking in their boots. Um, and they explained that I think a lot of people in life tread water. You know, I didn't want to tread water. I wanted to swim up the lock and take over, take the captain off the boat. I was coming to town. That was it. Um, and we did then. I spotted a, a, part, a niche part of the market where corporate business wasn't getting looked after. Um, I had no interest in these party apartments, which comes with chaos, drama, and a life like Carnation Street. It was not for me. So my business model was corporate. Um, before COVID, it was 75% corporate, 25% leisure. During COVID, it's obviously been 100% corporate and essential trade, including key workers. Um, and from opening in Belfast, we opened then in Newcastle, spread to Liverpool. Our reputation has stood by us. We have incredible partnerships now in Europe. We're working with fantastic developers in Liverpool, especially the Braithwaite Group, who are just incredible fellas to work with, Josh and Luke and their dad, David. Um, and we keep learning as a company on a daily basis. You know, we will not book a meeting for next week. We'll just grab a Zoom or it'll be a conference call. We'll fix an issue and move on. Everything's done at lightning pace, as is our expansion, but our calculations are going on in the background and our foundation now is that strong that we can absorb a brand new city and move on. On that basis, we opened 120 new apartments in Manchester on the 4th of January. My wife even questioned it and thought I had issues because I wasn't listening to lockdown and stuff and things like that. But I knew of my heart of hearts that we were going to make it work. And now Dream Manchester is fully booked um, in the middle of a global pandemic. So do we know our stuff? You're right, we do. So good things are coming. Very soon we're going to be able to invite uh, leisure guests back on people enjoying going and spending money and having a nice bottle of champagne, football coming back. I'm definitely a red, by the way, for anybody that hates me. So our amazing city of Liverpool, we've got Everton, we've got Liverpool, Manchester United, Newcastle, all these amazing football teams, all these people who are our lovely leisure guests who want to come back and celebrate life. That's coming soon. And everybody, I think, has forgot that. This abnormal that we're living in is only temporary. Amazing new life is coming back where people can enjoy hospitality. All our amazing colleagues that own bars and restaurants who have struggled crazily, who haven't had the support from the government. You know, normal life is coming back again. Everybody deserves all that. Everybody deserves a business and money to be spent. So I think exciting times are ahead here. It's going to be amazing. So, Tom, you've said this a couple of times now, uh, and it was something you said to me when we first met, that you stopped watching the news. Yeah. And, and as I say, that that is alien to me because of the day job um but i get it because you know uh, people around me have stopped watching the news it, it depresses them uh and it's the same negativity that's coming from the screen or coming from the radio on the hour every hour um at what point did you think i've heard enough of that and actually if i want to be the sort of person I want to be, and if I'm going to deliver what my vision is for my business, I've just got to switch off from that. Was there a particular point? Was there a particular story or incident where that was triggered? Yeah, uh, definitely growing up in Northern Ireland, what's the news was like having sat now for us. You know, we used it to protect ourselves. How to go home, what way to go to work, 
you know, it was just part of our life. But the news you got then was factful. Um, so you used it for a reason. Um, and up until recently, you know, I was the guy that would have got up in the mornings and read the news, thought it was interesting at night, wanted to watch the news. And then suddenly I realized one day, I looked at my mobile and looked at everything on Sky News and went, every single story here is sadness, heartache, death. Why am I reading this? Yeah. Like I must have been down 17 chapters and every link to click was negative, heartbreaking. And I just went, that's it for me. I deleted the app off my phone, told my wife, don't ever let me watch the news again in my life. I'm making a stunt. Newspapers were ripped up and threw out of the office. And I just made a decision. This is not for me. And like anything, once I'm in on it, that's it. And it really stands me good stead. I'll never go back to doing it. Um, I've been in the newspaper for all lovely charity work. I don't even look at it because my heart's in the right place for all the right reasons. But I, it does, it, fit, it serves me no purpose. I am in the zone. As long as my business are okay, my staff, my customers and my family, that's it for me. I don't need to know what's going on. You know, Brexit, what difference am I going to make if I'm listening and reading about Brexit? Boris is the guy that needs to make a difference. But don't get me started there because I'm not doing it. Like... <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, as I say, it's such an alien concept to me, uh, not reading the news. It's fascinating when I meet people who say, oh, I've, just, I've just switched off from it and, I, and I'm okay with that, you know. And then, you know, again, I, I just want to, explore what has taken you from running a really successful business, taking the brand to the point where it's now in core cities across the UK, uh, where you're heading for a thousand departments, you're clearly a busy man, and you've decided, I want to be busier. Uh, I want to, <laughs> and I want to basically start to transfer my skill set, my learnings, my experiences to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Uh, and wow, do we need that? Because, you know, the, the big gap, in my opinion, in our education system is the fact that we never say to anyone in school, college, or even university, yeah. you thought about setting your own business up. So what, what's got you into that, Tom? Um. I think I've always been the person that people come to my office for advice for, or even as a kid, my friends would have asked me. I have a clear mindset and I never have lived in a gray area world. It's always been black and white. Um, but then recently, you know, I came home on a Friday evening and my wife wasn't there. She was in downstairs in our bespoke me a gym. She was doing a yoga course because like me, she's been battering herself the whole way through COVID. She's just gained a couple of amazing qualifications as a yoga and a Pilates instructor again. However, that night she was downstairs and I got a phone call, looked at my phone and said, my army. And I went, okay, I answered the call. And I've been in touch with these guys before, but it was just out of wanting to reach out. Grant Cardone from Miami, his office had, had called me and said, Mr. Smith, we've been watching you for the last year. Grant's asked us to reach out. He, want, he would really like to partner up with you and be you be his grant as uh, Cardone licensee and represent him for all of Ireland, the UK and Europe. Now, for about two seconds, the back of my head exploded over the living room wall with excitement. But then I realized I had been writing for one year 
and as one of my goals that I was going to be Grant Cardone's business partner. I would become his friend. I would be on holiday with my wife and kids, with his wife and kids. Um, I use the visualization process quite a bit. I have had breakfast with that man and his wife 500 times minimum, where I've sat in Miami, I've smelled the heat, I've felt it under my feet, I can hear the cricket rubbing its legs, I can feel the sweat running down my back because the three of us have all trained in the gym, and I'm tasting the great yogurt and the blueberries as I'm talking to Grant and agreeing with his wife. I've lived that moment. So then I realized, like fighting, if you've trained for a fight and you knock somebody out, it's because you put the training in. Well, I put the training in, in my mind and in my goals, and I made that happen. Then be, me being me, I says to the guy, why is Grant not on the phone then? And he went, he's a busy man. I says, yes, so am I. Um, and he says, Mr. Smith, he's in Puerto Rico making a film with Robert De Niro. So me being me, I says, hold on. I went on to Instagram and seen he was on the set with Bob De Niro. And I thought, wow. This is all real. So since then, the relationship has just expedited. I became really good friends with Jared, the president of Grand Cardone, Natalie, Elliot. These guys have asked me to come, please come to Miami. Um, I was supposed to go to a growth con last week um, to meet Tommy Hilfiger and all these people. I couldn't go. And I am so excited to get on a flight and go to America as soon as the restrictions have, uh, you know, finish. However, I then realized when I'd done a qualification with those guys within inside a month that I need to start giving back. And I love doing charity work, but then I thought it's my time to mentor. And I put it out there and within days, it just completely blew up. And the mentoring has just went to a different level. I'm doing group mentoring, one-to-one, -one, and my life experience and the core principles I have in my life, I'm teaching the people and everybody's loving, absolutely loving it. So. Um, I feel privileged to be doing something else, but that all comes down to having an incredible amount of people around you who are amazing colleagues. Um, I've got the best PA in the world. To be able to do more and more, I'll just bring on more better staff, which will enable me to do you know, more work, more mentoring, more businesses. And I think if you're organized and structured, the world is your limit. You know, The sky is your limit. You can do whatever you want. And I just keep adding it on. I see my life as bonfires and I close my eyes. And if any of the bonfires are slightly going out, I throw more wood under them to keep everything burning equally, whether it's my personal life or my business. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I don't mind saying myself. And I was going to say, at the end of the day, you know, when you're taking on these additional responsibilities, yep. half answered this question, really. Uh, the importance of building a strong team around you because... However great the leader is, however energetic, however committed, at some point, you've got to have good people supporting you, haven't you? And it sounds to I'm, me... I'm, I'm totally nothing without my team. Nothing. Um, neither are we. We're nothing as a company without our customers either. You know, and we all realise that. I think a lot of companies, you know, and I don't mind saying it because it's been that ridiculous. Ooh. I bought a Range Rover in Belfast off Land Rover and the guys that work in the place, Yes, apart from a guy called Steve, and believe it or not, he's from Liverpool. He's incredible. Every other guy in that place doesn't care. They have forgot that they work for the customer. You know, we pay their wages. And a Jeep that I bought off them, the gearbox blew up, and they still haven't given me my money back. They don't care. People don't care anymore. I do care. My staff care. And I am blessed with an amazing team of resilience, 
uh, have better backbones and you know than uh, like than a gorilla. My staff are just so resilient and willing to do whatever it takes, which is the the title of my new book, which I'm writing. Whatever it takes, because that's how strong I believe in it. But I am truly blessed with with a real powerful team. And just let me talk about your recruitment process, Tom. What what does it take to get into that team? What are the sorts of qualities you're looking for? Somebody who's full of energy. A lot of the time, if somebody goes to the gym, it appeals to me because you know they're physically fit and they want, you know, they'll do whatever it takes. Um, definitely an early riser. I get up at 4 a.m. It's normal. Now, I have to say, I got up this morning at 4 o'clock and I thought somebody had sneaked into the house and hit me with something because I felt, whoa, but about also consistency and life, being persistent, getting back to the sheet of ice, keep hitting it, never taking no for an answer, um, treating the company like they own it themselves. Um, and anybody that works for me and has done for the last two, three years, they've never asked for a pay raise. They keep getting them. Um, and I think it's also important to realize that there's no such thing as a free lunch. You can't enjoy all these success stories without making your team feel incredible and help them enjoy their life by giving them bonuses and pay raises. Um, Cause they're all in it. They're making this journey for me. Um, and I love, I really love giving back in life, whether it's charity or enhancing somebody's life. Why would I not do that? You can't just take, take. That's not how it works. And to just finish off Tom, of what's been fascinating and a whirlwind of a discussion, um, you've talked about your next book, um, your first one, Fearless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm already ahead of this myself, sorry about that. Okay, which was, which was clearly, at least in part, inspired by your mum. But, but a great read, you know, an easy read. Uh, and one of those books that you can pick up, put down, take bits out of, uh, and really just provide you, I thought, with... Uh, a bit of a roadmap, if you like, for what makes somebody who is successful entrepreneur tick uh, and some of those things that have motivated you through the years of your journey. What, what part of it would you like me to answer? Sorry, I messed up. Just, just making sure that the review that I've just given is... <laughs> but I paid you for that at the start, didn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I started writing my book on the 26th of March last year, um, the day before my birthday. Um, I definitely felt a resilience inside me that wanted to be second to none of what was going to happen in front of us. None of us really knew, but from what I'd heard, it was bad in China, you know, the COVID, the pandemic and things like that. And I had said to myself, I am going to make sure that I have something to show for what I've done Although I've expanded my business, I've kept the right mindset and I've encouraged all my staff and friends to stay positive. I want to do something that will always be here or remember. So I put pen to paper and I started writing Fearless. Um, and I finished it the day that the antidote came out, believe it or not, and it's in the book. And it was a woman from Northern Ireland, from Anna Skillen, was the first person to have it. So, you know, some incredible connections are in my book. It's an antidote to self-doubt. It's how I tick. And I suppose so many people have read The Secret. This is a straight version and far easier for people to understand. And it simplifies a load of stuff like nonsense in an office where people to fall out with them, each other, you know, get over yourselves. Have, there's people here in this country, there's been 30 years of conflict and they've killed each other and they're now working together. So get over yourself.
never take no for an answer. And then the dream principle sort of, so I've actually geared that around my determination, regeneration, energization, ambition, and motivation. And all of them is just in my DNA that I eat, sleep, and breathe on a daily basis and pump through my staff who all keep turning out to be superstars. But I put it in words and I've had nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon. Um, it's available on amazon.co.uk and amazon.com for the rest of the world. Um, I became really good friends with a Hollywood A-lister who has invited me to come to LA and New York because he bought my book, like genuinely very close. His family, my family, the kids, the wives, all being in Zoom. And this all came from this book. So I think I wrote the book on the thought if it helped one person, my job would have been done. And I've had hundreds, if not nearly a couple of thousand reviews now of people Instagramming me and all that, that how much it's helped them. Thank you. And I just feel privileged that I've written something that's helped other people. So that's oh, it. Next one then. Tell us about the next one. The next one? The next book. Yeah, it's called Whatever It Takes. Um, and it's what I do on a daily basis. I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to achieve my goals. Whether it's running up Radio City Tower on the 31st of March, 16 times for a children's concert, Cash for Kids Liverpool and a mental health uh, charity for Manchester. I am prepared to do whatever it takes. So are my staff. And we're writing like a universal toolbox in this one of what you can dip in and out of um, to help you achieve anything in life by doing whatever it takes. Um, and I think you had covered it there earlier on about people, um, if they've had a few knocks and a few no's, and six months later, they go back to working for somebody else. That blows my mind. You know, this, this second book is going to be teaching people how to do whatever it takes to achieve their goals. So it's just going to, I'm going to share more of my content to help other people. Brilliant. Tom Smith, thanks very much <laughs> for the conversation with Downtown and Business. And, uh, and listen, we can't wait to get you to some of our live events to start to uh, disperse this energy that you have right across the north of England and beyond. It's been great speaking to you, mate. I hope Thank you, you so much. Yeah. Thank I think I said everything in one breath, so I may breathe after this. <laughs> <laughs> Top man. Great to see you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.